Hi, I'm Victor Milligan. And I'm Jennifer Isabella. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. And on the phone with us today is Enza Yanapola, analyst at Forrester, to discuss GDPR as we look towards May 25th of this year. Welcome, Enza. Thank you. Good morning. So, Enza, beyond the basic principle of treating privacy as a human right, what is the real intent or the real purpose of GDPR, if I also tie it with e-privacy? It is to protect uh, customers, to protect uh, their uh, privacy rights. Now, um, what it means is making sure that there are tools out there that individuals can use to uh, make sure that they are in control of the data, uh, the personal data that they share with the companies. And these might be, of course, customers, maybe employees as well. So it's really making sure that they have the right tools to protect themselves in today's digital world. And does this regulation kind of put a target on a specific industry or companies? Are you seeing that today, even with, you know, existing regulation that's that's in market? Well, I would say that every organization, being a small organization or a, or a very large organization, all of those uh, firms, they collect and or process the personal data of individuals. Again, maybe customers, maybe employees. So virtually every business does that, and every business that, that engage in this kind of activity uh, might become a target uh, for, for you know, GDPR or, or you know, GDPR enforcement. Um, many of these businesses are necessarily aware of the risks that actually this processing activity entails, or they might not be paid the right attention to it. So GDPR, in a way, is a reminder that while customer data is the, the, you know, the most valuable resource that we have as businesses, it also comes with liability. And as such, we need to de- develop a you know, risk-based approach where we put the right safeguards uh, to make sure that we are protecting that data while we'll still uh, you know, exploit uh, the, the data to achieve our, our business uh, purposes. You know, one one hypothesis is that in the formation of the regulation of GDPR, that they had they had entities in mind, and an argument, maybe not a good one, but an argument is that they thought of the fact that some of the, the large digital titans in the U.S. had a disproportionate impact on the digital economy, and they had a disproportionate power over customer data. Then they also might have looked at Martech and AdTech that have as core to the market trading on customer data without the customer's consent or in many cases without their knowledge. I mean, wasn't there sort of a a model or a blueprint in their head in the formation of these regulations? Well, I don't think so. And I'll tell you that because since the beginning, GDPR has been understood as an evolution from existing rules. And existing rules is the directive, the data protection directive, from 1995. So I think that not necessarily these updates to the current rules was done in light of, you know, specifically targeting on having in mind these kind of companies or, or you know, not them alone. Um, I would say in general that, of course, the um, higher the risks of these uh, processing activities that involve personal data of your customer, 
the uh, you know more care you need to put in the way you comply with these uh, uh, with these rules. Now, of course, if you are a firm that handles sensitive personal data of your customers, let's say that you are a bank or you work in financial services in general, or you engage in very large uh, data processing activities, well, all these things mean that you really need to pay uh, special care uh, of, to GDPR. And, and, you know, to comply with these rules. But I, let me tell you something else. If you look at the list of the companies that so far have been fined uh, in Europe, uh, uh, you know, and globally, the names that you find there actually are not very well-known names of very big organizations, all the opposite. The majority of those names are actually unknown uh, to, to the majority of, of people. So I don't necessarily see these as, uh, you know, targeting one specific vertical or a specific company. This is really about making sure that those companies that engage in this processing activity and, co and, and they collect the personal data of their customers, they do that uh, with the right safeguards in mind and with the right risk-based approach in mind. So staying with financial services, I, I guess want to point out what I think is an irony of time, which is as we speak in an insurance market, we're going to be looking at Internet of Things devices deployed in cars that provide sort of dynamic sensors for driving conditions, driving habits, and that type of thing. That's going to be tied to the driver, the human being. And part of the reason for that is if I bring in artificial intelligence or AI, is they're going to move towards on-demand policies. And I'm going to have a policy based on time of day, prior habits, traffic conditions, weather, any number of things. In other words, the use of the consumer's data at a time where GDPR is going to become real is becoming more prolific and more important than ever. I mean, it's sort of an ironic moment in time, would you say? Yeah, uh, definitely. And I believe that this is also why these kind of rules come up now in this specific form. Uh, you know, GDPR privacy in general is really not about uh, limiting the use of data, personal data. Uh, by by companies is uh, simply making sure that you know those consumers individuals they uh, make choices of um, very much about sharing their data but they make those choices uh, being informed uh, so taking care of privacy or, or being uh, you know mindful of, of privacy of, of your customers it doesn't mean that you should limit the use of their data it means using that customer data in the way that that customer is aware of and is okay with. It really entails thinking about all of these in a very different way from we were used in the past. It has very much to do with that, the experience of that customer, even when we think about consent and policy and GDPR. Yeah, it strikes me that there, you know, if I think of it as a primary and secondary market, what, what you're saying is that GDPR accepts and allows the primary market of a value exchange of personal data for better products or better experiences. So that actually it simply wants to put guardrails around it. But what it might be doing is more so affecting the secondary market where the, the company therefore then, then sells or trades on the consumer data they just grabbed for other reasons, whether they try to monetize it or build ecosystems, whatever. So is, is that a way to think of it is that the primary market GDPR is not really affecting, just sort of informing. It's sort of the secondary market of trading on PII data. Yeah, trading on PII data is certainly from a you know it's certainly something uh, a little bit more more 
I don't want to say difficult, but uh, uh, certainly, yes, the impact on that uh, is going to be uh, greater, if you like. And from a European perspective, this idea of trading on personal uh, information, personal data is quite, uh, you know, not necessarily straightforward. Uh, but again, um, those activities, as long as they happen with the uh, they happen with the customer's knowledge, understanding that you are transparent as a business what you are doing, and your customer is happy for you to engage in that activity, maybe because they clearly see the benefits for the customer as well, and because maybe that business has done a very good job at explaining what the benefit is for that customer, or because the relationship is so close and the customer trusts you so much that they are happy for you to work with their data in a certain way. Well, if this happens, then you can keep doing what you are doing uh, with your, your uh, customer's data. It's about transparency, consent, and making sure that everyone understands the rules of the game. And so... Going off of that a little bit and uh, understanding the rules of the game, you know, May is not that far away. And we have some data that states that companies won't be fully compliant with the GDPR by that time. So what does that mean for firms if they're not fully compliant? And what is the path to either be fully compliant or show um, the work in progress to compliance? Well, uh, definitely being uh, not compliant, not fully compliant with the GDPR is, uh, you know, taking a, a risk, a, a very important risk. However, we do understand that full compliance with GDPR is a very complicated thing to achieve. And I believe there is a, a shared understanding that, uh, you know, we are not expecting organization to be fully compliant by, you know, May 25th. Having said that, I want to add two, uh, two things. Um, the first uh, thing that I want to add is that um, when you as an organization start to assess risks of you know, not being compliant with the GDPR, I would say that make sure that you're assessing the risk in a very uh, you know, comprehensive way. And this means, of course, taking care of the penalties. We know, everyone knows, 4% of global revenues, for example. But take into account enforcement action. And this is something that I believe companies not always have, uh, you know, on top of their minds. Enforcement actions then can be extremely intrusive and detrimental for the activity of a, of a business. And this became very clear to me working with a number of uh, banks uh, in Europe on their plans for GDPR compliance. Very often, uh, they wanted to prioritize and start the work from processing activity on transactional data of their customers. Now, arguably, not necessarily the highest, uh, you Know, risk was to be found in that processing activity, but still they wanted to make sure that those processing activity on transactional data, uh, they were all you know, compliant with GDPR to start with. Mm -hmm. And then I asked, why is that important? And they told me, well, you know, if a regulator were to actually come here and impose on us certain conditions for this processing activity, that would be extremely detrimental for us because today we manage people's money and we are happy to do that. We are a bank. But tomorrow we want to be able to manage people's data. And these, the, the, our processing activities have to be done in a certain way to do that. So we want to make sure that we are taking all the relevant steps to bring this processing activity uh, under GDPR compliance without 
having regulators coming in and, you know, enforcing certain kind of conditions. And then while well, think about the uh, legal expenses you may uh, be dealing with uh, in Germany and France, for example, um, violation of uh, privacy uh, can be uh, subject to class action from customers, for example. And so this can become quite costly for a business. And then think about, again, long-lasting reputational damage and customer churn associated to that and a loss of profit. So, again, when we think about the risk of not compliance, then we need to think about all of these, not just the, um, uh, the penalty. And just to jump in, Enzo, your, your comment on the bank sort of strikes true because one way to think of GDPR is a punitive, onerous regulation. Another way to think of GDPR is a very welcome forcing function, especially as it relates to data governance, because data governance for some firms was a cost of business, and then for some firms, it's hygiene. But for some firms, this will give them the opportunity to treat data governance in their use of data as a strategic advantage in market. And GDPR might have ironically, going back to irony, sort of sparked that no, opportunity. Held it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, Victor. And uh, the, this is where I was I was going, moving from thinking about, you know, GDPR as a very punitive and, and, you know, penalties and all these negatives into something that actually delivers a number of benefits to the business that are well beyond meeting compliance requirements. And I tell you that on the base of the work that we have done with a number of organizations around the world, when, when they start uh, actually um, uh, implementing uh, this, this GDPR and they start to make changes to their processes, to their technology and governance for GDPR, they start to experience things such as improvement in their customer experience, much better data strategies, and a number of improvements in the way they manage privacy and security policies. As you can see, this is not, uh, you know, uh, hoping that the regulator doesn't find you. This is really delivering to the business. So, Enza, you know, I think a lot of companies assume that customers don't really care about privacy and that the GDPR is just, you know, kind of this regulation from from regulators who are trying to enforce or impose a set of rules. So can you maybe clarify that a little bit and, and maybe provide some data around consumer sentiment around privacy specifically? Sure. Uh, well, if there are still businesses out there that really believe that, uh, you know, because uh, customers don't care about their privacy or that they say that they care about privacy, but in reality they don't, uh, well, uh, they will need to think again because, you know, our research shows clearly that customers increasingly take action to protect their data, uh, their privacy. They read privacy policies, for example, and if they find something that they don't like in that policy, well, certainly they decide not to buy a product or a service from that. That, uh, company, they decide that they don't want to share their data uh, with that company. And that's not only uh, our own research. In 2017, for example, the uh, UK regulator, the uh, ICO uh, here, uh, reported the highest increase of data protection concerns uh, that citizens uh, reported to the uh, regulator. And that is the highest increase since the operator, the regulator started to operate. And then all the studies that, you know, our 
own customers are running with our help to try and understand the privacy attitude of their customers that they prepare for the GDPR. They actually show exactly that customers more and more care about privacy, care about their organization deals with the personal data that they share, and also how they are writing those messages or privacy policies or consent notices, all of that is really important and is an important part of that customer experience. So as it's May 26th, regulators wake up, the sky is blue, the birds are singing, and hopefully my wife still loves me. What does day one look like? Do the regulators have a prior list and they sort of have a working knowledge of who they might be doing some investigations on? Is it just based upon sort of the consumers phoning in? What happens May 26th? I believe that, of course, uh, you know, regulators will be uh, um, strict in the enforcement of these rules. So um, uh, um, I think that uh, there are probably a number of potential candidates, if not specific companies, certainly verticals, that they may be uh, looking into uh, to start enforcing the GDPR. Um, and it's not, again, because, you know, necessarily they uh, want to find someone that, uh, that they need to find. It's really to start enforcing a piece of legislation that uh, is, uh, is indeed extremely, uh, extremely relevant. Um, but let me tell you something. We are expecting that by the end of May, we'll see these, you know, headlines saying that company has been fined 4% of global revenue for GDPR violation. No, don't expect that because this kind of investigation, they take time. And again, the idea is not a regulator to go and find someone on day one. It's really try and find a way for those companies to work in a way that actually is taking care of the risks that we have discussed and uh, make sure that customers are in control of, their, uh, of the data that they share with these companies. But uh, even in case of serious violation, you have to uh, assume there will be some time before a fine comes. Uh, but there is no question that May 26, this regulator will be uh, uh, already doing their uh, their work, their job. And, and do you think that the regulators have pressure to put points on the board? I mean, this is a self-funded entity that has caught the attention of most firms that are paying attention. Um, it has caught a lot of press, um, and I'm sure the regulators are watching the same ball game everyone else is watching. Do the regulators have undue or normal pressure upon them to be visible May 26th? Oh, yes. Uh, there is no question on, on that. And, uh, you know, I would say that because uh, there has been so much talk about GDPR, there is so much pressure to the young companies to comply, and there is not a single day that goes by without seeing on a, uh, you know, uh, without reading an article about GDPR and how this is going to change uh, the business for, for many firms. Uh, clearly, regulators have on them now uh, the, the task to be credible and to really uh, work in a way that companies can realize and can, uh, you know, yeah, can realize that this is something that uh, is, is serious. They have to take seriously, and regulators have to be credible on these. And so, I do believe that the, the, the early enforcement they are going to do, the first actions that they are going to take, are going to have that role also to, uh, you know, set the right expectations in the market, give them credibility, and make sure that even organizations that today are doubting about the ability of these regulators to enforce these rules, well, they change their minds. And, you know, the, the business, the ecosystem overall, uh, the markets take care of these rules in the way that they should. Yeah, and I think, you know, 
touching on the ecosystem, there's obviously the concern of regulators coming into your business, seeing if you're compliant or the path on the path to compliance. But also companies are doing their due diligence with their partners to ensure that their partners are understand the GDPR, they're compliant. So there's a risk there too to firms, not just regulators coming in, but companies shutting off other companies, um, you know, doing business with them. Yeah, just to build on that, I mean, we're, we're going through the same process here and you do have a sense of combined liability, which is right. that if our partners are vulnerable, I'm vulnerable. And that sense of combined vulnerability is a scary thing. And I do think it will guide the, or the restructuring of some of the ecosystems. Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, you know, if um, one of the, of, of the partners in a, in a value chain is not able to comply with the GDPR, that partner will undermine the ability of everyone else to comply. And I, again, imagine that you are receiving a data subject request for data deletion. So I want to be forgotten. And I ask you, and you are to make sure that whoever in the value chain has received that data, because in a business relationship with that company, has to be able to comply with the, the request of that customer to be forgotten. So it's extremely important that, you know, across a value chain, you start to understand how your partners are dealing with the GDPR. Are they able to comply with this kind of request? Or as a result, are they make are they going to make you unable to comply? Um, because, you know, it's, uh, it's not going to be uh, possible for you to say, well, it's just my partner's fault. It's really a spread uh, responsibility, a shared responsibility. And in the research that we've been doing, both on the uh, business technology side and, 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 and marketing and strategy side, we are starting to see organizations to, for example, they want to know how the providers of data, data sources they are using, how those providers are gathering that data? Do they have the right legal basis for that? Or how my partner that is, messy, uh, that is providing me with a certain you know, software or certain services, are they able to comply? And we see a lot of selection at present going on, assessment and, and you know, selection going on in terms of maybe um, terminating certain relationship if you think that they don't align with your standards for privacy and they need to comply. And also, as you share new, as you choose new partners, well, you are starting to see how much the ability to comply with rules and in general those data privacy uh, practices they are playing an important part as we select and, and you know our partners moving forward. I guess that's one of the things that strikes me as interesting about sort of May 26th to December 31st, if you will, because you know one one school of thought says that the financial consequence will be felt because of the regulators and through fines another school of thought says actually that's going to be a secondary consequence the first consequence is actually going to be the reshaping of ecosystems and the extent that one firm gets terminated by four or five clients takes a massive chunk out of their pnl and you know does the ecosystem reshaping actually reshape the market it's not the regulators, the regulation may be causing it, but it's actually the responsible partners taking the action and causing the consequence. Yes, and this is something that we have started to see. On one hand, again, this uh, reshaping of the ecosystem, that some, some companies that are not able to change the way they operate uh, to, uh, you know, to comply with these rules, they 
necessarily will be uh, driven out of the market. On the other hand, we can start to see how companies that really embrace privacy, maybe as part of the uh, of the core value, what they do, and they are ready to uh, you know handle the personal data of their customers in a way that is compliant, not only with these rules but with the expectations of those customers. Well, those companies uh, really start to have uh, that competitive differentiator in the marketplace. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny because on a personal note, in our little neck of the woods, um, obviously, myself and my team were artificially intelligent on GDPR because of people like you. I mean, we, we get to work with you. And we'll talk to our partners and we'll say, are you compliant? And they'll say, yes. And then we ask the necessary next questions is, could you describe what that might mean? And the line goes silent. And you do kind of wonder whether GDPR compliance is going to be sort of like marketing messaging, but it's really, it's just not going to be sufficient. And there's too much, one of the benefits is that there's so much press on GDPR, you simply can't fake, fake your way through it. There's just too much intelligence in the due diligence right now, and especially between now and May 25th, and then May 26th through December 31st, where consequences will start to be truly felt. Yeah, and I see customers actually asking for, um, you know, stronger auditing rights uh, to their partners, uh, being, you know, processors or, you know, the business, that, uh, the firms that they uh, do business with. So it's not just about, oh, yes, I'm fully compliant with the GDPR and that's enough. It's about providing all of a series of, you know, assurances that actually uh, prove that you are compliant. And I'll tell you also why. In a relationship, for example, between uh, a company and one processor, so the processor is someone that would handle the personal data of my customers or my behalf. So the processor does everything that I say on that on the customer data because a customer data is something that I have collected as a main business. Now, if I want to show a regulator that actually something bad happened in the infrastructure, in the practices of that processor, and not in my practices, in my infrastructure, in my systems, I need to show, first of all, to a regulator that I have done enough due diligence to reasonably understand and gather visibility in what that processor is doing. Uh, So I've required evidence of documents or auditing activities, or maybe I require to see uh, through a certain platform, for example, how the processor, uh, for example, has been going through certain, uh, you know, uh, certification, if they're doing certification, or how they handle certain processes. And this is important for me because if I have done all this due diligence, then I can go in front of a regulator and say, look, it's not my fault. I've done all that I could. It's my processor fault. Maybe I've been sharing the data further without the necessary safeguards in place. And so if you want to play, if, if you want to be that company, you really have to do that due diligence in a way that, uh, you know, is, is meaningful. Yeah, GDPR is not a binary. I'm either fully compliant or I am non-compliant. It's more about calibration, which is, what level of compliance is rational given what I do for a living and what my ecosystem is? And can I define that line of calibration and, and can I socialize that to the CEO and board because I, I have responsibilities to them? But we're gonna, but what you're, I guess your point is that you're, you're saying is the regulator is going to accept the idea that it's, it's about a calibrated response but proof that there's a path forward to be compliant. That's sort of the window between May 26th and December 31st. Yes. 
um, again, understand the risks that you need to handle as an organization, uh, find out what the best mitigation strategy is, of course, in conjunction to uh, the risks you have identified, the business objectives that you have. And then at the end of the day, uh, this is a, a, we are talking about a business risk. It's not something that is for only the compliance office to take care of or only of the legal office to take care of. This risk is really a business risk and it's really something that, uh, you know, at the end of the day sits right with the with the executive team. So when we first visited GDPR, we sort of went through all the different rules associated with it. And this is including e-privacy. And it just struck us that this is sort of a one-to-one relationship between the regulator and the business. I think a different way to think of GDPR, it's it's catalyzing operational change and it's catalyzing the change of markets and the change of ecosystems. Um, it has privacy as a human right underneath it, but it really is sort of a reshaping force in the marketplace. So if I'm a business and I see that taking place, what does it mean to me to calibrate and start reshaping my ecosystems and reshaping my operations? Well, I would say that, um, you know, first of all, this is about an understanding of, uh, of, of risk and maturing a risk-based approach to your uh, data handling uh, practices and data handling activities. Uh, it means, uh, you know, bringing this sort of discussion that uh, up to today might have been with your legal team or with your security team, uh, just, you know, somewhere in your organization, just bring these up to, uh, you know, a real business discussion when you start to see all the implication of it. And it also means, uh, you know, defining a standard not only for yourself, but for the other business you are working with. And this translates in a value to your to your customers and a really defining way of building that relationship with your customers. So is elevating all the conversation about uh, you know the protection of the customer data. As we all know, this is the most valuable thing that we have. Well, this is the moment where you bring this statement up to the uh, you know to a business conversation and you start to to make a strategy uh, and make sure that actually you are protecting finally what is for you the most valuable thing in your business, which is the, you know, the data of your customer. So this is going to certainly be a year, a year of reckoning for many firms and their ecosystems. And I really appreciate your time, Enzo, to go through this. Well, thank you. It was my pleasure. Great. Thank you. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And don't forget to leave us a review. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.